Hey everybody, welcome to Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. I really want to thank you for listening. If you feel compelled to do so, make sure you subscribe, uh, leave a review, comment, share, whatever you feel like doing. Help me out trying to grow this podcast, trying to continuously deliver value. A couple of things before we get into the show, check out the links in the show notes to my CRA Academy, my CRC Academy, both of them doing very well as far as getting people jobs in the marketplace. Check those out. Also, if you need help getting studies for your site or anything else, or even launching a site, basically any help for your site, we have a low monthly fee consulting service where we have helped many clients become and continue to be successful site owners through our background efforts of business development and support staff. Text me 949-415-6256. Please check out the links in the show notes as well for the book, The Comprehensive Guide to Clinical Research. It's been selling really well, getting very well received by the community. Thank you guys so much for that. Also check out the YouTube member page. Join this channel to get perks. That's my YouTube uh, membership. It's 10 bucks a month. You get a monthly mastermind exclusively. It's a Zoom call every month with other YouTube members. Uh, You also get weekly videos exclusive to the YouTube members on how to use social media to improve your opportunities in life sciences. So check that out. Really means a lot to me. And thank you so much again for listening and enjoy the show. All right, Guru Nation, we are live with the one and only dr daniel fox and brad hightower i mean this is like something that i can't believe we haven't done until now uh hopefully it becomes much more regular and we've just been talking in the green room a little bit and by the way put your comments guys all right i had to announce before we get into anything okay i have to announce like today's day one of my viva sponsorship viva is here to take over the industry in a good way I've been following Viva since 2019, 2018, maybe. Um, they are site focused. They're giving out Viva Site Vault for free. Okay, owned by sites, loved by sponsors. Viva's already been, just to give people like a 30 second cliff notes. Viva's been a household name for sponsors since before I even probably got into this industry. They're not a household name for sites, they're doing things to empower sites, they're giving you free stuff. They don't need anything out of it. They're a multi-billion dollar company, $44 billion market cap. At least at its peak. Mm-hmm. It's probably like 27 now, 28. Who knows? Everyone's getting hammered. <laughs> but that's not what's important. <laughs> what's important is they can afford to do this because they know that sponsors like tools that sites like. And mm-hmm. they know that sites don't care mostly because they don't need another platform that's the last thing sites need so here you have a free e-rig which is going to passively integrate with all the 400 plus sponsors already using viva so if you're sick of your monitor asking you for the latest gcp of sub i number four they don't need to ask you anymore it's already there if you're maintaining your viva e-rig site vault Mm -hmm. not only that you'll hear me talk a lot about viva now these next few months it's biz dev. When you sign up for Site Vault for free, it's free. 
They're not trying to upsell you anything either. It's free. You get added to a list of sites that 400 plus sponsors already know about and use. All right. And Rod, Creo, yes, we're still using Creo for eSource. Viva doesn't do eSource yet. We're still using Creo for eSource and CTMS. Viva doesn't do CTMS yet. But it's it's an additional tool for eReg. And it passively integrates with sponsors. So you don't even need to give them external access. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. Viva, thank you. I got my hat. I got my Viva hat. I'm going to put it on. But... What a man, great they, live stream, Brad. They, swag, they swagged you up, Viva. Yeah, know, man. <laughs> yeah. Like, I asked for, like, everything they had on their website, and they sent me what the supply shortage uh, of what they had, but they're going to send me more stuff soon. So thank you guys for coming on. You know, I was a Viva super user back in the, the client days or the sponsor days, and I'll have to agree with you, Dan. I, I don't have my swag. Viva, you can send me whatever you want. But, but <laughs> no, in, in all sincerity, over at SCRS, Viva was the only one who gave the swag of donating to nonprofits. So they had these cool tubes and you get to they give you coins and you get to choose what nonprofits they're going to donate to. They didn't give you swag. Instead, what they end up doing was they actually helped to take care of their country. They, they really do care. So... That's that's just my plug. So I I do have high respects for that company. Yeah, I wouldn't just accept any sponsor either. Like mm-hmm. I've only had one official sponsor my entire existence of of doing this. The last one was Intralinks. They we're still using it. It was our TMF system uh, for my CRO and site network. But you know, Viva, they're up there, and they're ones that get it, and they're ones that can see and play the long game. See, they're not like these VC companies where they're just burning their investors' money and trying to get sites, you know, nickel and dime here and there. They're playing the long game. They're willing to be patient. And ultimately, that's uh, I think it's a strategy that's going to win out. Of course, it comes down to the sites. People like you, Brad, people like me, people like you, Dr. Fox. Are you actually going to use the tech or not? Remains to be seen, but they understand this at least. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like their strategy for sure uh, in all the all the different companies I've talked to. So I'm with you. I mean, they're, I'm taking them on as sponsor as well. So uh, I think I'm like you. I wouldn't just necessarily sell out to any anybody throwing money at us, you know. So yeah. I think it's cool to at least start to get some, you know, I don't know, consensus that uh, maybe there's some solutions out there we all like and we can all start leaning into. And as sites, make a difference, you know, like really start to put some pressure on the industry to, you know, use the things that we think are good, you know, because a lot of stuff sucks and, uh, you know, I think it's up to us yeah. to help help guide that. So as I put on my hat, okay, everybody knows you guys already. But so I'm not gonna do like long intros. I want you guys to explain yourselves and, and like your your vision for what you're contributing to research in as few words as possible. We'll start with Dr. Fox. What do I want to contribute to research? I want everyone who's living and breathing on this world to have the right the right to perform research as a patient as a site as a physician because i think that covid showed us the most of all that clinical research is our right it's our way to make sure that our globe and how we run things keeps running the way it is so excess lots of access yeah, I like it. I think very simply put, I mean, my goal is to 
make it easy for physicians to participate in research. It shouldn't be, uh, you know, sort of all done in academic centers. It shouldn't all be held by hospitals. I think it should be done more in the community and all physicians should have the ability to participate and it shouldn't be a huge pain in the ass or, uh, you know, a financial loss for them to do that. So that's really my whole, whole mission is to make it easy for physicians to offer trials to their patients. What do you guys think? And we're going to get into the questions. You guys drop your questions. Thank you so much for watching. Make sure you like, subscribe, comment, share. What do you think the biggest impediment to clinical research efficiency is right now? I mean, I don't want to sound conspiratorial, but uh, no, let's I think there's, do it. Oh, I think I, I think there's like too much incentive for it to be inefficient uh, financially, right? So. Uh, if you look at what CROs do, I mean, a lot of it is unnecessary. Uh, a lot of it is, it, I mean, making everyone's lives more difficult than, than they need to be. Uh, but they're making money hand over fist because of, of some of these inefficiencies that they're not just leaning into, but creating in many cases. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, that, I don't mean for that to sound like again, not like a conspiracy that they're purposely doing it, but at the same time, they have very little incentive to make it more efficient when it could very well be with, with just cutting out some of the, the silliness that's that's done. I mean, that's just my quick, that's my hot take, I guess. <laughs> so when do when and how do sponsors, oh, go ahead, Dr. Fox, because I have like follow-ups to this. <laughs> we can just go on rants this whole hour. No, that's fine. I... I kind of agree with Brad. I think that there's been certain artificial barriers that have been put in place for research. I mean, if you look at any other industry, finance, the financial industry is a big one. The technology is there and even the infrastructure. We have people who have demonstrated, even in healthcare alone, we have demonstrated that when you perform research, you can do it in certain ways. But I think that if we were to perform it in the way that we need to, it would certainly be taking some dollars out of some people's pockets who have a lot of power right now. And I think, you know, when you have financial motive, you have a disincentive to try to make things progressive. I've noticed, I've talked to sponsors on a regular basis and, you know, it's for us as site owners and all three of us here are site owners. A lot of people watching site owners, but a lot of people watching are also not site owners. Probably more so are not site owners. Sites tend to, blame sponsors for everything and to some extent yes i mean even the fda is the one that holds the sponsors responsible not cro's not vendors but a lot of the blame can and should be uh pointed at the middleman like oftentimes it's the cro's i mean it's interesting it's kind of ironic how cro's were birthed you know with dr gillings who started quintiles which is now ikevia to increase efficiency and they do deserve a lot of credit. I mean, prior to the CRO existence, it was just like health is skelter sponsors, just trying to find sites with a lot of academics. So CROs kind of privatized a lot of this, which opened up the opportunities for people like us to even have sites mm -hmm. because before like, no, nobody would come to Yuma clinical trials. You know, they would go to ASU U of A and that's it. So in many ways, the CROs kind of completed their task so well that they've built this incredible moat around themselves. And now you're right. Like 
maybe the incentives are not there. But I think sponsors are also starting to take control a little bit more. And at least from just the hearings I get from different sponsors, they're trying to structure different packages, like as far as how they pay the CROs. Like they'll pay if the study completes quicker. They'll pay more if the study, if the sites start up faster. But that's still not the norm. That's not the norm. But do you think we're going to see more of that, especially with tools like Vivo, which are actually empowering sponsors? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you would yeah. think so. And especially, too, with all the all the new entrants into the market right now. I mean, it could, I think it, even though, like, look, I'm scared as hell to have to have 10 new systems that I've never heard of before to work in. I also think it's going to be great for competition because it's going to open up a doorway for somebody to to do it right who's not sort of stuck in that you know, older way of thinking they'll do whatever it takes to win business, which maybe is actually being more efficient, not just, you know, uh, selling more, you know, billable hours or whatever the case may be. So, I mean, I do, I'm hopeful, you know, I complain a lot, but at the same time, I'm, I'm really hopeful about, you know, what, uh, all this, you know, craziness is could potentially could bring about, you know, could bring about some positive change. Mm-hmm. And I think you had a really good point, Dan, when you talked about, you know, CROs have their place. Before CROs entered the market, uh, we couldn't scale up the way that we did now. Uh, so as a result, you really have to give them the kudos to put the processes in place. And I, I do think that in the future, they're going to still have a place in this industry. I just think that maybe that place is going to shift a little bit to the point where they can focus on their strengths and maybe they can let go of some of the things that they're not necessarily doing appropriately. Yeah, no, I agree. There's, uh, I think the incentives have to change. I think that's like becoming clear to a lot of people that are watching this industry and in this industry, especially those that are working in the industry. There's also like, I mean, there's there's some something here to be said about the inefficiencies. Like, it does benefit the sites as well to some extent, don't you guys think? I mean, we I don't mean- like to hear. The study's ending soon. Like this is the last month to start screening. Like just personally, I don't like to hear that. Like, okay, I got to hustle now and we should be hustling the whole time, but let's face it. Like we really don't hustle as much as we can until we get that email that, Hey, we only have a month left. Well, if it were, I mean, if it were easy to be, uh, to run clinical trials, we wouldn't exist. Right. I mean, there would be no need for people like us because physicians could do it. They could do it out of their offices. It'd be way easier to prop up, but it's just, it's not. So yeah, in some ways it's hard to, (laughs) it's hard to point the finger because I mean, in a large part we exist because of the inefficiencies there or the, the, you know, self-imposed difficulties. So the whole concept of a rescue site, like thank God rescue, rescue studies have given Yuma clinical trial, like a chance to get started. Mm -hmm. So that's inefficiency leading to a company actually being formed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think from a site's perspective, like you said, maybe the incentives have to change a little bit. We try to do, I'll call it just-in-time clinical administration, not just-in-time clinical trials. And essentially, just-in-time doesn't stop at startup. When we do our just-in-times, it's literally come in, get your patients, get your data, get out, move on to the next one. And so, you know, we try to make it more of an assembly line. I think that we could be incentivized by productivity, not by 
sitting on the trials that are, you know, kind of lingering about, but just try to get them in, get them out and move on to the next one. And it makes for a very good business model. Yeah, I think the sites that can get studies quickly, like the ones that have developed a reputation for themselves, mm-hmm. are going to be the ones less bothered by by this. But many, you know, are just struggling to get studies. Even though this market, I mean, you, you guys are seeing like super busy, right? Are you guys seeing yeah. the same thing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's a it, right? <laughs> we call it revenge research. It's, it's all the stuff they're trying to make up for from, from COVID and beyond. It's just been crazy. Monoclonal antibodies. That's like yep. huge yep. right now. I thought it was going to be MRNA platform. It seems like it's monoclonal antibody mm-hmm. platform. That's number one. Yep. I wonder if uh, maybe the COVID vaccine kind of jaded MRNAs a little bit, kind of got politicized. And so we're moving more to the monoclonals. Not to say there's no potential there either, though. I think that's yeah. going to have a lot of potential applications and it's going to require more research. Mm-hmm. Guys, that's at the end of the day. Uh, let us know in the comments what you guys think. Questions for Dr. Fox, questions for Brad Hightower. We were talking in the green room about social media. And I mean, it's back to increasing inefficiencies, right? I think sites that can innovate are going to do well no matter what whether you call it virtual trials, decentralized trials, or regular trials, like sites need to innovate. Mm-hmm. I think one of the easiest ways sites can innovate is to become the voice for their community. Especially it's easier in smaller towns where there's you know not that many voices. But I think social media is something that sites are not taking advantage of. That's like my next hire. I was telling you guys is going to be someone I'm going to groom them to be a coordinator, but their primary role is going to be, you're going to create a YouTube channel for our community. You're going to go interview teachers, principals, local business owners, patient groups, clinicians. We're just going to create a show, podcast, videos, Instagram, TikTok, And that's going to evolve into you being a pre-screener of patients which will evolve into you actually doing the screening visits, which now, guess what? You're kind of a coordinator too. <laughs> and that's that's my next strategy here. But what do you guys think specifically with social media? I mean, we're, we're all using this, this tool to build our own brands, and we see how powerful it is. Mm-hmm. So why don't sites see this as well? Yeah, I mean, I know for me, we I think it's something I've <laughs> I've struggled to wrap my head around from a from a patient outreach perspective or, and maybe a better way to frame it is how you're saying it, like community engagement, right? Like I may be thinking too small in terms of like, okay, let's go post stuff on Facebook, try to get and drum up interest for trials. And again, maybe that that might be just the wrong way to think about it. It may be more uh, in going and engaging with the community. I think it's a way smarter idea and maybe something that I certainly haven't leaned into enough. I know that it's a, (laughs) even just the, like social media we do is a very double-edged sword, right? I mean, some of the engagement is just, where do you start? You know, like, I mean, people who are making all kinds of, you know, saying terrible things. And it's like, how do you, how do you manage that as a, as a site, which, which can be challenging, but I, I love your idea. And it's maybe something I haven't embarrassingly haven't thought enough about is really getting a more uh, out into true engagement rather than just trying to sort of 
you know, not like, not like, un, not unlike what we do on LinkedIn, right? Where I'm not spamming people about my business. I'm having conversations with people and that's could easily be carried over to, to the site side. So I'm going to just say, I haven't been smart enough to crack that nut yet, but now, I mean, I mean, even you saying that has sort of inspired me in a way. So I like, I like that. I love that idea. Yeah. It's something I've been playing. I'm going to be playing around. It's been in my head for a while. I just never been able to do it. And ironically enough, everyone's like, Oh, you're a social media expert. It's only because I've been able to grow my brand. But when I try to do it for a site, you know, I realize that it's going to have to take others, not just me to do it. And, I'm willing to finally invest actual money into that now. That's mm-hmm. going to be my next hire. I I agree with you, Dan. And instead of trying to work with Pfizer to make a comic book, you're actually going to go out into the world. And, uh, so I, I think the important part about your strategy is you're literally integrating research into the community. It, it's not going to be some weird, mysterious veil that people worry about only when they have a terminal illness. You're going to make people more comfortable with research. You're going to go out and talk to the community leaders about it. And so as a result, you're going to peak interest where the patients in the community that we're not getting enrolled right now who are qualified would actually realize they'd know about research. They'd be able to follow it and they wouldn't be afraid of it. So I think that that is going to be a very good utilization of social media to try to promote research in the community. I, th- I think the reason most sites don't do it, myself included, I'm not pointing any fingers because there's four coming right back at my face. Um, we don't see the immediate ROI. And we're like, well, it's much easier for me to have this person just help with that entry than to go out and interview like a preschool teacher. But mm-hmm. if I'm willing to confess, like if I think this thesis works, which by the way, I'm cheating because I know it worked for my <laughs> career. Like, I know the answer. Yes, it works. Now, time to do the work. And I remember, like, my first three to five years of doing YouTube, really nobody was watching. Like, so that's that's kind of the barrier to entry. I think a lot of people get excited about it, try it for a month, and then they're like, eh, we're over it. You go back to buying dry ice. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, and that's that's an interesting observation, and maybe it's like a, a weakness and a strength of what we're doing, and other people like us. There's a lot of people like us that are have small community sites or you know small networks going, and I love that. That's a, a sort of growing uh, approach. But uh, I think the weakness, in a way, is that yeah, you mean Arizona State. Everybody already knows who they are. They already have trust to some degree, or at least a brand recognition, you know, in in the community, but. You know, Yuma Clinical Trials, not so much. You got to get out there and hit the streets. But you've also, you know, you know how this is. Like, sometimes it's just one conversation at a time. And you or your organization can do that, I think, more effectively than uh, a big, you know, a big place that doesn't really care, but they've got the name. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. so the opportunity's there, but it's going to be much more of an uphill climb, I guess. But, I mean, isn't that why? That's why we do what we what we do and we don't work for (laughs) well it's all about doing work it's doing work that others don't want to do others that are bigger than you when someone's bigger than you company or person they have more to lose so that becomes their weakness because now they don't want to do things. this is why cro's are i'm not going to say fail but this is why they've become less efficient over time they they can't risk you know if they make one bad move 
they're going to lose a sponsor. Whereas mm-hmm. site networks, they can take the risk. Um, so I, I see a lot of parallels there. We got questions too. Uh, you want to go to some of these questions? Yep. How complicated Mario Sierra, certified clinical research coordinator. It's very valuable to have. How complicated was it to integrate a vaccine study into your sites, assuming no experience? Man, we didn't do any. We Maybe. somehow skated, I we skated through I doing literally, literally none. I know there are some site networks out there that like that's their whole bread and butter or vaccine trials, but uh, we have not. We've not done any, so... I have nothing to say. Um, I think that COVID kind of gave everyone a chance to get some experience if they wanted it. And so as a result, a lot of the times we can integrate our vaccine studies into our primary care facilities. So vaccines are really good for primary care if you ever want to do it. And uh, I'd say during COVID, it wasn't hard at all. Now that COVID's over, it's going to go back to the whole uh, PI grooming dynamic that you're going to have to worry about where uh, you got to make sure that you're... PIs have a little bit of experience to get them in, but overall, I think the barrier to entry has has been reduced slightly since the pandemic. Yeah, I, I'm noticing more RSV studies, mm-hmm. interestingly enough, and one of them is a vaccine. So we might be doing our first one. Um, Jelena says maybe target college students or sponsor clubs. Out. Yes, to do the community outreach. I think that's going to be my only option. Uh, in my town. Sorry, Brad, to cover your face. Uh, I think it's worth noting a lot of research sites present themselves very poorly publicly, which definitely doesn't promote trust of folks who aren't familiar with the industry. By present, I mean, or yeah, he means websites and professionalism, a first point of contact. Mm -hmm. I kind of agree. I mean, a lot of these websites, my own included, Yuma Klingo Trail, they look thrown together. I think actually engaging you know that's like web 1.0 i think actually engaging and using these tools better can help in that regard and i think that's like if you're going to invest money it should be invested there when it comes to like patient facing community facing things and even sponsor facing i mean sponsors will look at a site if you're going to talk about hey we use social media they're going to look at your social media and see are you actually doing something so i agree well, I think even even more basically, like and I've heard this from sponsors and especially a lot of insight from smaller sponsors that I've worked with. I mean, a lot of sites don't do the basics well. They don't answer the phone. They don't call their patients back. They don't follow up on leads uh, that, that come through, which are like, I mean, it's pretty basic stuff to do. And, you know, I, I've heard it a crazy amount. You know, we've done or gotten some of the same you know, central recruitment campaigns, but we've blown big sites out of the water just because we will call a patient back within mm-hmm. a half hour rather than wait three days when they're gone and they they feel like you've left them behind. You know what I mean? So basic stuff like that, I think too, can have a really big impact on your site. How do you, because I mean, yeah, I agree, but a lot of sites are also like, okay, well, how do we do that when my coordinators are already yep. overworked? Like do you just hire someone else and that's it? Yep. I think that's where you're going to run into. And I've, I've talked about this before is if we want our sites to be um, kind of experimental, if they want them to take those risks, they're going to have to have sufficient fun to think about exploration. If you just have sites that are working on shoestrings all the time and all they can worry about is focusing on survival, they're not going to be able to explore. They're not going to be able to do new things because all they could, you know, like you said, 
when it comes to taking risks, right? Uh, when it comes to taking risks, a site that can just barely make payroll isn't going to make a risk compared to a site with maybe a little bit of a budget. Prime example is, and I think you're kind of on your way to doing this, Dan, is you're going to be essentially hiring a business development rep, a BD rep at a site, a site level BD rep, uh, clinical research liaisons, sometimes they call them that sometimes, but if you can actually have the resources on your overhead to focus on business development, to focus on exploration of new technologies, I think it's going to be helpful. So if you fund the sites appropriately, my guess is they'll, they will be utilizing these technologies more when they have more bandwidth. And it's up to the sites to make sure that they're being funded appropriately, right? It's not the sponsors. Exactly. I've battled with this forever, guys, regarding budgets, right? And I don't know. It's not probably not the same answer. It's every case by case. Do CROs, because oftentimes CROs are negotiating, and sometimes they are just middlemen. Like, they're literally asking the sponsor, hey, site asked for this. Do you agree? Sponsor says, no, go back to them. Finally, they come to an agreement. But I suspect there are times when sponsor says, hey, this is what we're going to pay you. And the reason I suspect this, because I've done a few CRO projects myself. And that's what sponsors told us. We don't care what you're going to give the site. We're budgeted for you. So you figure out. So oftentimes, is it the CRO that's really the ones negotiating against the sites? What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I, I was at Magi and I did a, a no, it wasn't a panel, it was more of a debate style. And it was me and a CRO contact and it was about hidden costs for sites. So of course, a lot of budget issues came up. And the sponsor, a lot of sponsor people in the crowd, I mean, not a lot, but it became clear to me that there was definitely uh, differences of opinions between sponsor and CRO. And sponsors not even like being like, oh, well, we'd be open to that. But this, they'd never know it because you're only dealing with the CRO. You know what I mean? So I think your point is pretty valid. I mean, I think there are instances where some of that stuff never gets back to the sponsor, even though the sponsor might be willing and not even just willing, but happy to help pay for some of these things because it would make for you know a better, better experience, better enrollment, better quality, whatever the case may be. So... Yeah, that's that's where I think there's certainly some gatekeeping that goes on that sponsors may not even know about. Mm -hmm. And this, but using the sponsor as a convenient scapegoat, say, hey, they won't accept this, mm -hmm. <laughs> even though they might. They're just not going to ask because it goes against their incentive. So it all boils down. I guess the theme of this uh, so far has been incentives. This entire conversation. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, or even the transition of incentives as we try to go into more innovation. I like that. So incentives have to be shifting. Right now, we're at an inflection point where maybe incentives are. I think it starts with empowering sites first, like awareness. That's why a lot of these conferences mm -hmm. are important, right? But we have to keep the true essence of the conference in mind, like site-focused. Mm -hmm. I think that's a key theme yes. that needs to be closely guarded. Yeah, I think uh, one thing that they said at SCRS, and I've heard this even in our autism nonprofits, is it's always, if you're going to do something um, for us, it better be with us. 
In other words, you know, stop talking down to us, stop making decisions without having our feedback. Um, start, start actually having conferences that sites can afford to attend if you really want to speak on behalf of sites. So I don't know, it's just, uh, there, there's a lot of things that we have to consider when it comes to that for innovation. Hmm. It's an interesting decade. This, I think COVID kind of spearheaded a lot of this awareness, shifting incentives. Like even if the incentives haven't shifted yet, just the idea, I mean, everything's an idea first. So just the idea that we're formulating now, right, may eventually become a, a reality mm -hmm. later on down the road. I've, uh, so back to the CROs, the budgets and the gatekeeping, I've, I've seen you it. You love on... that. You love that. <laughs> well, I've seen it on both ways. So, you know, I've heard the stories where sponsors go to CROs and say, here's your limits, high, mid, low. If you're within this range, fine. You don't have to talk to us. But then if you get above this range, then you're going to have to escalate it and send it our way. That's when you get the crazy, you know, I'm waiting on the sponsor to return the approval kind of a, <laughs> a delay. But then I also hear from the sponsors saying, this is a giant waste of our time. We never told them that. I don't know what they were thinking. We're wasting wow. weeks and months of time. So I'm not sure. Uh, and maybe it's just dependent on the CRO and the sponsor and their combinations. How do we know? Like, if it, like, how do you just ask? Because I'm in the situation now, I'm not going to name names, but it's a huge sponsor. It's a phase four study. So it's like, but it's actually a decent budget phase four study. So I'm actually excited about it. And it's a big CRO in the middle. And the CRO, I mean, they finally agreed to our terms, but it took months and we still don't have the executed contract. And I try to piece things together. I didn't ask the guy from the CRO who we're negotiating with, like, hey, is the sponsor actually telling you this? Because that would be like, you know, it would basically show him I have no trust for him. And how is that going to help me? But I, I, I pieced together things. I, I asked the CRA things when she came to SIV. I said, hey, why is this budget taking so long? She said, oh, the, that's the way this study is. The sponsor's in a, in a rush to wait. So then I thought, okay, maybe it actually is the sponsor. So I just started like piecing things together outside of just straight up asking, like, how do you guys ascertain is the issue here with this particular budget, the CRO or the sponsor? Well, I mean, that's a part of the problem, right? Is the opacity. I mean, there's no transparency to size. It's what the hell's going on. And, you know, I'll say this, I don't negotiate the budgets directly anymore. I have someone who does it because they're way more aggressive at it than I am, but they will ask and they will, I mean, honestly, just by asking and making make friends with your person you're negotiating with, they will say they'll tell you stuff you would never never have guessed. They'll even they'll even tell you how to get more money sometimes mm -hmm. if you if you really make friends with them. You know what I mean? I say make friends, but I mean pick up the phone, call them. Don't just exchange emails. Ask Old probing school. questions. Yeah, right. Ask probing questions. Uh, you'll be surprised by how much they will tell you. Um, but I also think it's just a shame that, that that's what you have to do to even know what the hell's going on. Because to your point, it's like, it's like you're doing, being a private investigator, like trying to put together, like who's calling the shots here and why are things happening in such yeah. a crazy and bizarre way? And it's, again, it's weird that we have to do that. Going back to the scientist in me, that's a really interesting question. And it's something that's part of my metrics. So I can tell you that from, 
uh, site's point of view, generally the average time in the industry is a one to three ratio for a return to contracts. In other words, for every one day that that contract is at your site, you're going to be waiting for three days. And the larger the CRO and the larger the sponsor, the greater that ratio. For example, some of the big global sponsors that you're going to run into, you're probably looking at more of a one to five ratio, which means if you go through two to three rounds of negotiation, you're looking at at least 15 to 20 business days just wow. to try to get something returned. Yeah, that's that's about on par with what I've experienced. And this is an important study for us because it's a huge indication. I mean, like we can, unfortunately, we can enroll like a lot of people in Yuma with this condition. And it's relatively easy study for my relatively new PI. So I was worried that I over-negotiated and that the sponsor is just going to stall because they, they, they canceled our SIV. Uh, so I was like, oh, geez. But then we ended up having our SIV later. So I went back to, okay, you know, it's probably just the sponsor being slow. Anyways, just an example of what sites have to deal with, guys. Let's get some of these questions, right? Uh, uh, Abby, speaking of Viva. Hey, Abby. Nelson <laughs> Nelson Ruttrick. I met this guy, and I talked to him on Clubhouse before, too. Does a lot on social media to get patients. He may have tips to share. Community outreach combined with highly targeted posts could be powerful. I haven't studied what Nelson actually does have. When you so, guys Are you guys aware? I've got a uh, Nelson's coming on my live stream Thursday ah. uh, to, to talk. So yeah, no, I know he, he definitely uh, is very successful from my understanding. He does like few trials, but does them extremely well and extremely well, well targeted. It sounds like, so I don't have a lot of specifics, but tune in on Thursday. To learn more. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> what about you, Dr. Fox? Do you know Nelson? I only know Nelson from every single podcast I've been with Brad. He's always seemed to be there asking the questions and being very in innovative. So very I can't wait to hear that, Brad. That'll be good. Uh, we used to, When Clubhouse was a thing, I used to be on there with him. And he's he's like a wealth of information. Perla Nunez, how's it going? Aya. Yes, community engagement and outreach works, but you have to put time into it and watch the fruits grow. Absolutely. And, you know, myself included. Sorry, Brad. I don't know how you got on the bottom there. <laughs> It's right, because you showed right. up last. That's why. You know, that's, mm -hmm. Okay, we've worked on... <laughs> this is funny because it's covered Brad. Okay, we've worked on community engagement for the last two years or so in Nashville. ROI not immediate. Lots of new allies. Yes, I agree. Um, here's people engaging with each other. It's one of the things I love about the platforms. Commenters engaging with each other. Like You can even get good candidates if you're looking for somebody just on youtube comments linkedin comments myself brad dr fox i mean this is like if you're looking for opportunities you need to be in people's comments sections okay good afternoon cro says no sponsor says go that's a new t-shirt maybe it's a new t-shirt all right brad you're gonna get covered again sorry but let's read sorry. bianca's question real quick if you have Ikevia studies that have clinical trial educators, let them help you. As a CTE, I have to beg some sites to let me do community outreach for them, do lunch and learns with their staff. CTEs are free to sites, and our primary job is to help sites recruit and enroll. We'll do anything the site needs to help, and sadly, sites don't take advantage. They don't even want us to visit them. They refuse free lunches. So, yeah, I, I can see that. And 
I know I've worked with a FCT. What do you guys think about that? Why do sites I mean, refuse these people? I mean, I love that idea, but I also get the notion from sites that like everyone who approaches you is like a pain in the ass, right? I mean, it's just more to deal with. You got to, you know, bother your PI or bother people in a clinic. And that can be, you know, oftentimes research is relegated to like the bottom of the pile in whatever institution they're in. And it's like, so I think there's like a, again, just sort of a overarching feeling of like, I don't want to bother anybody. I just want to do the bare minimum and try to get everything, you know, done as well as I can. But I know we worked on a trial a couple of years ago that did have a CTE like that. And uh, very, it's very useful. Again, and this is where I think people who are a little bit more progressive or forward thinking will take advantage of those opportunities and they will will help. But I know in places I've worked, it's just, Again, no one wants to engage any more than they have to because everything turns into more work somehow. <laughs> and and yeah. again, sites are strapped. They don't have the the throughput to just to do that, even though the irony is it could help them in spades, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's a weird conundrum. Yep. So same here. It's for us, it's kind of like time is money. And it's kind of like that catch 22 where I know CTEs are here to help. They're here to try to uh, do things and help the sites. But at the same time, it's important to know that if you have, uh, I don't know, 60 CTEs trying to get your PI's time, he's never going to get to run clinic again. So <laughs> you know, be between the CTEs and the MSLs and everyone else who just wants just wants a moment of your time, just I, we actually had an SIV where they wanted the PI to sit there for three days, three full days of giving up clinic for this trial. Yeah, and I, I mean, yeah, it, it's crazy. So that ain't happening. Yeah, that, it, and that's exactly what doesn't happen is we just say no thank you because we really don't have the bandwidth to accommodate uh, that kind of a thing and although it's free lunches keep in mind that's also hours we have to pay our coordinators that we're not getting paid for exactly right i think that's that last part is what i was going to add to bianca's comment like i agree we've had cts in the past they are helpful ikevia seems to be the ones that are hiring them but but most sites have overworked CRCs. So it comes, it boils down again. You just need more personnel. Like I think sites actually need more personnel than they think. And over hiring, I mean, it's dangerous because look, let's be, let's be honest as site owners, right? Like we hire someone else. It's coming out of our immediate profit, even though we might have more greater profit in the future. It's uncertain. And uncertainty right now is the name of the game in our economy. So I totally see why. So Bianca, I agree with you, but it's not that simple because a lot of these site owners and management are thinking short-term when they really should be thinking long-term. Because like, I, what, as I was reading that comment from Bianca, I'm thinking, all right, this person I hire that's going to do social media and all that, they're going to meet with the CTs. And if my PI is busy, guess what? I'm going to tell the CTE, we're happy to spend all day with you. I have a dedicated <laughs> person just for you, but my PI is not going to see you. I think that's a, like a fair trade-off. Well, look at in healthcare, look at what happened with MSLs. You're looking at the exact same behavior. Mm. So when MSLs enter healthcare and into the clinics, what's well, the very first thing they want to do? They have a direct accountability to mark how many doctors they talk to <laughs> and so we literally have to go through there to protect our doctor's time so they can focus on their clinics oh, to yeah. try to 
we have to vet these MSLs appropriately. And they hate it. They absolutely mm-hmm. hate it because that's not how they're, you know, their success is talking to the doctors and we're like, no, we got to protect their time. Sorry. Yeah. They just want to, nope. They want to show somebody a slide deck real bad. Yeah. (laughs) And, and sign a log. Like we need one more (laughs) log to sign. And even the sales reps have a logs. So you're right. And this goes even more complicated. Like not everything, like there's maybe like simple explanations, but like complex reasons behind why. So, my PI, I've been doing the Yuma Clango trials for just a little over a year. I've paid, he's been really cool. I've paid him very little so far. All right. So when I hire somebody, I have to explain to him, hey, we're delaying our profits a little more, but here's my rationale. And then I have to be careful about his time as well, because it's enough that he's got to meet with monitors now and he's not really getting paid because he's now like a partner. So he's getting paid when I get paid mm-hmm. and he, he bought into it, but other sites might be dealing with PIs that are not so like easy to convince. Hey, meet with this monitor. You know, she says an hour, but Hey, just give her 10 minutes. Right. Well, how much of that can you do? And then add on CTEs and all this other nonsense. In addition to what they have, until they start thinking, time is money for me too. Forget about Dan. This is my practice. Like time yep. is money for me too. So it's it's complex. It's not as simple as what Ikevia says. Hey, here's a solution. One size fits all. Unfortunately, it's not how it works. Yeah, man, we deal with that. It it's challenging because I mean a lot of you know the deal with most of our PIs is look, you're going to get paid when we get paid. Understand that that's going to be. <laughs> And it's going to be quarterly, <laughs> fingers crossed, but, you know. Oh, I forgot to mention that. What if it's yep. like four months behind on payment? I mean, sometimes that's the case. And, and yeah. frankly, to your point, you have to be really careful about what you ask from that physician when it's been three months and they haven't seen a lick of money come through because you're waiting to get paid and you can't front them thousands of dollars necessarily because you're trying to make payroll in the meantime. So the whole thing like you said, it's, it's simple, but it's complex at the same time. I mean, it's those little nuances aren't always, always clear. So it, it has so many downstream effects. Just, I mean, just to go back to, again, something as simple as quarterly payments, which we know aren't quarterly anyway, but that, that rolls (laughs) down into all kinds of other, other subtle, you know, relationship based problems that that could, that come up along the way. So yeah, it's, it's, it's just a lot. It's a lot to deal with. Yep. And it, it all goes back to if you want sites to grow, you have to feed them. Starving sites aren't going to want to do all the stuff you want them to do. So. Starving site, Yeah, that's right. That for sure not. You, but do you want the sites? You still want the sites to be somewhat hungry, right? We don't want them to be fat. I, I, I think they're pretty emaciated right now. I don't think you have to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> we, need, we need sites to get a living wage. We need sites to have yeah. the money that they need to do all of this. And it's just not happening. And you would think that it would, because right now the markets in our favor are being sites. Like there's just a huge supply of studies. You could be picky. Like I'm a startup site and I'm turning down studies. Never yeah. would have imagined this like in 2005. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, and you know, something that occurred to me at someone else I met talked to at Magi and I've had this observation too. I mean, tell me if you guys, if I'm off base here, but like his observation was that look, 89% of the trials we get are sort of 
they kick along and they're fine, but they're not big money makers necessarily, right? But then the whole point is to be in the game and to be honing your processes so that when those 10 to 20% come along that you just destroy and they basically bring you, let you level up so that you can, you know, then bolster yourself and then become, you know, even more efficient in what you do, have, have more positions in place to help support continued growth. But, you know, the hard part is like the grind of those, you know, 80% that aren't, they aren't really doing much for you, right? Like you, again, you'll get a few, they'll do okay, but you're not really, you know, you're not laughing all the way to the bank off of those. You're just kind of keeping the doors open. Yep. And I think that creates a really interesting, cause that could be three months or it could be two years of you grinding along waiting for those big opportunities to come, but you've got to use that opportunity to get everything in place. So I don't know. That's just, that's interesting dynamic for sites. And I don't know if that's unique or if you guys kind of have the same experience or, or I mean, how does that jive? Same. Uh, yep. Yep. <laughs> I would take it a step further. And this is an orthodox statement to make. Sometimes you have to be willing to even burn a bridge to take advantage of those opportunities. I mean, we're dealing with like finite resources, right? Especially as a startup site. So I had, uh, there's an example of the study. It's virtually impossible to enroll. We've had five screen failures. We've essentially given up on it because we've had, we have better studies now. And we're like, why would I go through all this work? Like I didn't even train my new CRCs on that old study. It's in hindsight, I would have never taken that study, but it was my first study I had. So I took it and I know I'm burning a bridge by not enrolling. Luckily for me, this is an issue with both sites on that study. So I'm not necessarily like a huge outlier, but I'm still like probably never going to be used by that CRO. Again, it's a small CRO, small sponsor, but yeah, I mean, I, I know what you're saying and I would take it a step further. Like sometimes you actually burden some ships, you know, to get to where you need to go. Mm -hmm. I agree. So we only have theoretically 12 minutes. Did we want to talk about patient? I know we've been talking. So did you want to talk about patient centricity at all? I'm down for it. Like, I'm okay, look at these comments. We can do both. Like let's do yeah. patient centricity. Let's do comments. Um, tying in, patient centricity to viva viva is trying to do e-pro as well mm -hmm. so they they understand this too not to harp on viva too much but you know how they're like they had to be subtly integrated into this conversation just like the social media when you're talking about community engagement and patients you subtly introduce the idea of research when you're interviewing a high school teacher about something for your local podcast mm -hmm. so yeah what do you think like what does that mean to you guys patient centricity Go ahead, Dr. Fox. Oh, boy. So for me, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I had a very interesting experience just last week about patient centricity. And for me, it, it, it seems like a simple word, right? Patient centricity, the center of your focus, which is interesting. But then you, you start to look at the industry where it was kind of a buzzword for a while during COVID. It's all about the patients. We're here to serve the patients. We want everything to come to them. And then you start to pull back the veils and you hear the same exact things you have been for years where it's, you know, of this patient doesn't do what I want them to, then they're of no use to me. They're no good to me. Uh, it, it's almost like 
it feels like we say this thing on one end just to make the public happy. But then once we start to really look at it, when we talk about enrollment goals, when we treat patients like some kind of a product, when we devalue them for the efforts that they do when they're, quote, no good to you, um, it, it's kind of concerning in many different ways. And so as a result, for me, patient centricity is just that we're literally here to serve the patients. And then whatever happens afterward is a positive consequence of that. But most importantly is they're our number one reason for being here. Yeah. No, it's true. And, uh, you know, patient centricity is kind of like it's in the kind of the same box as like DCT for me. I've just given up on trying to define it or even consider it. I mean, I just <laughs> not that I don't consider patient centricity, but I mean, I, I can sort of appreciate the hard line to walk between being patient centric, but also still doing rigorous science, which is really, I mean, it's what we're doing. We're doing data collection. We're basically glorified data collectors in, in a lot of ways, right? And balancing that with being, uh, again, like centered on the patient, I can appreciate how that can be challenging at times. But I mean, the best thing I can do is just be a freaking human being, you know, to the patients that I engage with. I mean, I can't make the study better. I can't make the inclusion criteria, you know, more broad. I can't give them something better than the crappy ERT phone that, you know, they have to do <laughs> EPRO on. I, I can't wow. change that. I mean, I, I just can't. So, but what I can do is be a human. I can listen to them. I can try to help them in any way that I can. I can, you know, try to lessen the burden of their participation in different ways by being flexible with when we can see them or getting them a ride to to the clinic and paying them the same day that they come in. I mean, the little things, you know, sort of, sort of <laughs> like that. And I mean, that, that's it. You know, that's, I feel like for us, that's to a large degree, the best we can do. And maybe that's, I mean, a lot of, in a lot of ways that is good enough. If you are, you build these relationships, they, they get to like you, they want to come see you, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. that's, there's a lot to be said for that, but from a higher perspective, I don't know. I mean, when I hear a corporation say patient centricity, I just kind of, I keep scrolling, you know, it doesn't really mean it's, much to me. And when, when you hear these like million dollar words, you got to distill them to like what they actually mean, what it actually means to me when I actually do, I deal, I still deal with the patients. I'm in training mode with my CRCs. So I have like three examples of patient centricity that you're not going to get from Pfizer or IKEA, like, you know, when they sell their next project, we had a patient, first of all, like you said, Dr. Fox, um, I think you said it's just a, a patient. They're no good to us anymore. A lot of our screen failures from other studies, for other conditions, the fact that they screen failed there is the fact that they're a good candidate yep. for another study. Yep. So that's never the case. They're no good to you. Let's say you can't put them in another study. They know people, all right? Patients have friends. Patients like, hear me out, pharma. They actually have lives, like outside of your EPRO, right? They exist. They're not just a number. That's number one. Number two, this was a teachable moment for my new CRC just last month. She got super busy because, like I said, we burned a bridge and now we're like all in on one study. Super busy. A patient had to be screen failed. Oh, well, that sucks. Please screen fail her. She did. EPRO stopped. 
The next day, the patient texts me, hey, I can't do my diary. Um, oh, what's no. going on? So I told my CRC, I said, look, I apologize. Like this is you. Somebody should have let you know day of. So I told I had a 20 minute conversation with my coordinator. Like and she's new. It's my fault because I didn't tell her. You can't do this. First of all, this patient could be a good patient for another study. We don't want her having a bad experience. Number two, she can refer people to us. We don't want her having a bad experience. And number three, it's just like a decent thing to do. And I know you got busy and I know it's my fault. And in the future, if you're busy, let me know that you're not going to do it so I can do it. She understood, but it took like 20 minutes for me to explain this to her. And another example is these EPROs. Like we have people, there's an elderly uh, group of patients in, in one of our studies. They, they're given like these apps on their phones. I know from experience with my mom, they have a hard time closing apps. And these apps, you guys yep. know, they're glitchy as hell. Yep. So it helps to close them all out once in a while. Well, this patient came in. I knew what the problem was. So I said, look, come in. I'm going to teach you how to do it properly. And I told her, this square, push it, clear all, open the app back. It will work. It's just that little thing. You know, That's those things are patient-centric to me. Buying someone a sandwich when they're fasting, if they're diabetic, or even if they're not diabetic. Maybe they're hungry. They're, they're a human being. Those things are patient centricity, not what I'm hearing on LinkedIn. Yep. yep. And for me, it goes back to being a service model. We are here to serve the patients. Uh, and the results are a consequence of that. But we want to make sure they have the best possible experience. We've had coordinators travel hours to get a sample from a patient who couldn't go somewhere. Mm. We've had entire situations where a patient was going through a crisis and we would try to everything we could to reschedule for them so they could try to do it. We had patients who would relapse. And so we had to literally fit an entire trial around them. It's literally trying to serve that patient. And if you serve the patient, if you serve them properly, you're going to get better data. You're going to get better results and you're going to have better science. And you're going to have more patients too. And you're going to have more patients. Once you start randomizing patients, I tell my coordinator, I don't know why, but it's like a rule. Once you get some momentum, you know, word of mouth spreads and they start referring people. And pretty soon, like even if like one out of four make it, they're they're referring people. We just want to keep them like this good experience going. Mm -hmm. So that's patient centricity, like in a most practical way I can explain it to sites. I still don't think sponsors will get it, but it's okay. Uh, Do you guys still have a little more time to get through some of these comments? Sure. Yep. Okay. Yep. There's a bunch. Jeez. I appreciate the, the viewership. Welcome, yes. everyone. Thanks, thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, comment, share. If you don't follow Dr. Daniel Fox and Brad Hightower, I mean, first of all, why? I have to question, like, <laughs> what's going on with you? Um, okay, here we go. Ellis, I don't think incentives are as darkly misaligned so much as there is so much friction to just facilitate communication. Yeah, I mean, but how do we know? Mm-hmm. How do we know? Because, like, who knows all this? Like, sponsors usually know sponsor things. CROs usually know CRO. Sites usually know site things. It's very rare you have somebody that, like, knows all stakeholders well. So mm-hmm. how do we know? 
I mean, should there be some kind of new collaboration? I mean, or, I mean, is there a place for some kind of working group or something where there, I mean, or is that even useful? Because, I mean, I have the same experience. I mean, it's. Well, with all these freaking conferences, you would think this would be discussed. Yeah, but, <laughs> I mean, what are those what are those conferences for? They're really? for the thought leaders to go and get their, like, um, their micro moments out. <laughs> maybe there's the, maybe it's time for a new kind of conference, you know? <laughs> you know interesting I, interesting times we're in okay uh first time i hear okay let's see he's good with it maybe implementing international logo or certification that is shown at the entrance of each research site and promote clinical research in general to the public yeah i don't i don't know i mean that's just it's so fragmented i don't think you can't get people to agree on i know it seems simple like put a logo on your door Trust me, it's not that simple. Uh, and then to get patients to understand what that logo means, forget it. Like, I think it's local grassroots. Grassroots. Um, oh man, we're behind on these comments. Okay. Often sponsors have empowered the CRO to reduce internal oversight and management time. But if the CRO isn't representing the best interests of the sponsor, though they may think they are, the sites get the short end of the deal. The CRO, by definition, is looking out for themselves. Wow, super duper. I like that one. <laughs> well, I mean, so that, that basically like validates the idea that like CROs would screw sites over because they're incentivized to do so, right? Yeah, or they're incentivized to not do so. Or maybe CROs, the, the other, so maybe the CROs are underbidding so much because it's so competitive that they pretty much cut everyone's throat. So they're kind of miscommunicating the funding requirements of a, a trial. And so then sites get screwed. They don't get paid enough. And CROs are strapped because they're just not communicating appropriately. Rod Raphael. Love this guy. Everybody go follow Rod. <laughs> yes. Indianapolis, Indiana. Monthly is a lie. That's right. That could be a t-shirt. Mm -hmm. uh, is it Yuma and Viva Acquisition? <laughs> <laughs> you know, our market cap compared to Viva's is like, I mean, we don't... We, yeah, come on. <laughs> That's no, not yet. Not yet. Give me five <laughs> give me five years though. Uh what was the quote Dan said for sudden increase in clinical trials? Revenge research. It was revenge research. I like that. Brad seeks no one. <laughs> not sure. That could be taken out of context. So this was probably twenty minutes ago. I'm behind on these comments. <laughs> Sorry. I work for a sponsor and we have a study coordinator site steering committee to discuss these topics. I mean, I don't know. Are you guys, I mean, I feel like I'm being asked to be on a lot more like advisory type calls with both vendors and a few sponsors here and there. I mean, I guess that's a good sign, right? I mean, it, it remains to be seen if that's going to actually amount to much, but at least there's some intention. I mean, is that... Are you guys more no. cynical? Are you guys somehow even more cynical than I am? <laughs> I mean, I've 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 yeah. sat on a lot of these and I've been invited to them and I actually did it for a while and then all of a sudden I started saying things that were true and then I was dismissed. I was asked not to come back. <laughs> yeah, so it's like enough. it's almost like, look, we invited these sites to this committee and then when they start to speak up, we let them go because we don't like hearing what they have to say. So, I mean, we'll see. I think you need the site owners on these things, not mm -hmm. the coordinators. Unless the coordinator is the owner. I think a lot of the issues, the inefficiencies at the site levels come from management. 
Like, I mean, sites are not without blame in a lot of this stuff. You know, That's right. We're all That's about true. empowering sites, but I mean, come on, you know, not every site's built the same. Yep. Some sites I know terrible, ter- the most toxic people I've ever met have been some other site owners that I will remain, <laughs> will remain nameless. But the, like, I don't know who would work for them and not many people do um, for a long time. So I don't know if the coordinator is necessarily like maybe from operational standpoint, but from like more of a philosophical, like what are the problems with sites and patient centricity and all this stuff? I don't know if the coordinator necessarily the one to bring to the table here. Mm-hmm. And the reason they get you, Brad, is because you're like on LinkedIn and they don't want you talking crap about them, man. So they're like, oh, let's get right. Brad on our call first. Keep your enemies, <laughs> keep your enemies close, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, but I think, you know, too, and not unlike you guys, like we are like I'm still seeing patients. I run all this stuff, but I'm also still seeing patients every day too. You know, these are we're more yeah. of, of the true generalists. I know that's a big, a big thing for you, Dan, that I love it. You know, is important. But a lot of sites don't run that way. A lot of sites the coordinator does one little or one little cog in the machine and they don't have a, a great, maybe a great understanding of the bigger picture. And then on the opposite side, you've got these big, new, well-funded IROs that have C-suites that are bigger than our entire companies who don't know jack shit about actually what life on the ground is either. And so they misrepresent the site experience as well in a lot of ways. So it's hard to find that, I guess, that good balance, you know? Good. I, th- I think like this steering committee would be good for the actual study. Like if maybe if you get the coordinator for the actual study and not just some hypothetical um, study in the future. First of all, co- if coordinators are as overworked as we say they are, which they are, who's going to have time for this? Like they don't even have time to return patients calls. Who's going to have time? The only people are going to have time are like people like me or Brad or Dr. Fox or people who can like delegate things. I mean, I don't know, like, it's a good, it's a, like, it's good, it's definitely a good attempt, but I don't know how practical actually is going to be. Hate to sound like a pessimist. <laughs> I liked your idea about newsletters, though, and like having a podcast newsletter, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that was your idea, good idea. podcast newsletter. There's something, you know, again, more engaging, because I know a lot of us don't want to sit, and I'm guilty too. I don't sit want to sit through all the calls always. Um, but if I could watch, you know, could do a short podcast or do a short video, you know, interview with with some of the other sites so we can hear. Because I, I look, man, I look at those things. Who's on top? Okay, well, yeah. what are they doing? What are they doing that I'm not doing? Maybe I'm missing something simple that I'm just not seeing. So let's get me in touch with them or let us all learn mm-hmm. from these successful sites. Have you ever reached out to a site that's like high and roller and they've actually responded yep. back to you? Yep. Yeah. 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 That has, that has happened. And sometimes we've been the site that people reached out to us, but I've also had it happen where, you know, you get ghosted by them or they don't, they don't, again, same problem. They don't want to, maybe there's too much, uh, yeah, you know, like, there's like a whole scarcity thing, right? Like, Oh, I, I can't, can't help, help you be good because then like I'm less good. Yeah. Right. Cause then I lose that on money. I lose that on money because I help you. It's like, that's, that's yeah. just a mentality we got to get rid of. If you There's close always... the gap from my number one to your number two, yeah. like, and I'm helping you do that, I look less good to the sponsor. Mm-hmm. That's like this yeah. mentality, right? 
Yeah, and it's not, oh, look, I can open up another trial because we're done with this one, which what that's what we should be thinking about. That's what we should be doing. If, if it's truly like abundance, which we actually are. Yeah. Rod Raphael, I have said since COVID started, the best time to promote research to the public has never had this much awareness in our lifetime of our research. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Um, Karen, I'm confused. I noticed a lot of excuses and issues. What is it that you really want to make things great for you and your sites? Nobody's speaking what they want. Many most sites just agree to contracts and budgets and never say I have to pay my staff and I need a better pay schedule. Is it fear that you will not be selected or be blacklisted because you speak your truth just asking? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of fears in that, Karen. And that's the goal is we w really want to make sure that the sites that we work with and for are successful. And that means making sure that they get paid what it takes to do the trial, not just getting paid whatever they're given. It, well, if, and we can if I can, oh, dude, I've, I've noticed a lot of people lately saying, oh, well, sites are just complaining. They're not doing anything about it. And I want to be like, look, man, first of all, I mean, it's even kind of in her comment here. Most sites just agree to contracts and budgets. That's a problem. Yeah. That's a big problem. And you know why is because of lack of, Part of it is a lack of awareness too, right? Like, I mean, I can't tell you sites I, I met and have talked to who don't realize that they have leverage to negotiate those things so that they can pay their staff and ha get a better pay schedule. And whether that be fear or just complete lack of education, I mean, part of it, I think we all are trying in our own ways to make that more apparent to sites that are out there because, you know, again, if we can raise the the floor for everyone, uh, we, we can all get... A, a little bit better. I think it's perfectly reasonable to point out the problems that exist uh, just it, in terms of educating everybody about the problems. It's not just complaining for the sake of complaining. We're all out there putting our money where our mouth is running these, these sites. It's not just complaining for the sake of it. I mean, our livelihoods depend on this. Mm -hmm. You know, we are not, you couldn't be any more invested in wanting a solution than we are. So, you know, I, I just, that annoys me too. That again, it's like, well, you guys are just, everyone's just complaining. And I'm like, I don't, well, that's not, that's not it though. I mean, I think there's, there's just, there's so much more uh, that we need to do. And part of that is exposing the problems that do exist. I think that's a perfectly fair thing to do. Yeah. And I, Brad, I think also the word complain is a very interesting word. That means that you're pretty much just griping and you're not really doing anything about it. You're griping just to gripe. And I think that everyone on this podcast right now has, successfully documented their observations and their concerns. And then as a result, they're justifying their actions. That's, that's not complaining. Fair. Yeah. There's a lot I could say on that too. Um, I mean, I just basically, we need to normalize being able to talk transparently. That's and it. we, in some respect, I mean, you guys are leading the front on that. Like, and it may seem like you're always complaining, but that's kind of like, also what works well to get a lot of feedback, you know, like to, to give you more feedback for the feedback loop is like expose a problem. Like a lot of your posts, Brad, the reason they do well is because you're basically bitching about something. It's, it's got a catchy hook, but then there's like a lesson in there. And the more catchy it is, the more people are going to provide mm -hmm. that, that feedback. Well, that's just it too, though. I want people to understand, like, you're not going to get blacklisted just because you want your, what you deserve or you want your value 
You know what I Have mean? You been, like, you're proof they can't be blacklisted. You're proof. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. Don't, let's not speak. Let's not speak oh, too shoot. soon. But let's to her, to her point, to, to her point, I do think there is that that fear that a lot of sites have. Like, oh, I just got to take what's handed to me. I better not ask too many questions or cause too many problems because they'll yeah. just move on to the site down the street. And you know, it doesn't have to be that way. It's okay to to you know make your your issues known and then we can start working on some solutions together from there so i mean again that's mm -hmm. that's part of the hope too to know you have that ability yeah and i always tell them i tell the sponsors straight up i said look i'm not doing you a favor by accepting an underfunded budget it's not fair to the patient it's not fair to my site it's not even fair to your sponsor and your technology so if you want this done properly i recommend you put the appropriate resources toward it what do they usually tell you when you say that well, if I tell the sponsor, they said, wow, I really appreciate your passion, your dedication to my project. If I tell the CRO, they said, well, you know, we have our orders. We have to escalate. So, <laughs> you, know, you, you, you know, you choose your battles. Uh, <laughs> I like that. Okay. Almost done here, guys. Thank you for your patience. Uh, I've worked for several years in DCT side. Hate that word. Interfacing directly with sponsors and CROs, and now I'm on the sponsor side. I noticed a lot of disconnect in communication between the three groups when I was on the site side, which comes with involving a middle person. But it's been encouraging to see that there is a concerted effort to improve the direct relations between sponsors and sites. It's good to know, Patrick. It's good to know. Let's keep that up. If you're on the sponsor side, just keep giving them our direct numbers. We can't get veiled. We can't get like undermined. We've got to be able to have that direct connection so we can have a dedication to the quality. We're up, we're both here for the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember when I started in 2005, like it was so secretive, this industry. I remember my monitor um, kept telling me about a competitor site in the same town. They were doing really well on a study and she kept telling me to talk to them. I was like, all right, they're not going to do it. And so finally she called their coordinator and said, hey, here's the coordinator here. Talk to him a little bit. It was like she had to force this this dialogue. And I think now in 2022, 2023, we don't really have to force it. We got people like Brad and Dr. Fox and myself to some extent, like kind of enabling these conversations. So it's not really forced. And that's kind of one of the benefits of social media. There's a lot of negatives with social media too, but that's one of the benefits. Mm -hmm. Okay, last one. We've actually had great success with the steering committee. The coordinator assigned to the study is a paid a contractor fee to participate. All right. We asked them to be honest and work through our issues. We were able to get an extra 400000 approved by our management team to assist with site issues. Nice. <clears throat> Good job, Carly. Thank you. Hats off. Hats off to you because that's done the right way. And I think so too. Anything else, guys? We wrap up. We'll do first of many. You know, um, yeah, anything we, we need to make talk us about? regular. Yeah, yeah I mean, we do a regular. Maybe even uh, you could ask for pre-questions if someone they want to ask questions before live, so we have a little bit of a uh, a list that we can follow off of to be, to start with. A little icebreaker to yeah. get going. Yeah, I think so. All right, so we covered everything. Patient centricity. Oh, virtual trials is dead, right? Nobody's talking about that anymore. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> Do you That's guys hear podcast. that? I don't hear. I don't hear virtual trials anymore. I hear DCT. They given up on that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's been yeah DCT is now the stamp yeah. on everything. Yeah. It's but you really have to ask. You have to ask yourself why. 
why that happened. And that's where you really got to get into another podcast to do it. <laughs> yeah, there's always more, guys. Stay tuned. Well, thank you, Dr. Fox. Thank you, Brad. Um, where you can find us again, ASA, oh, Australian Flag Girl. Um, Brad is on LinkedIn. Same with Dr. Fox. Their, their LinkedIn profiles will be underneath the show notes. Um, so that's where you can find them. Thank you so much. Everybody like, subscribe, comment, share. We'll do it again soon, guys. Bye-bye. All right, bye.